You guys can sit down if you'd like. Or you can stand with me for the next two hours. Alex said I had as much time as I wanted, so. I'm just kidding, we won't be here that long. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, uh, my name is Joe, and I work for Christian Student Fellowship, or CSF. Uh, doing, yeah, woo! College ministries. Uh, we were on several campuses throughout Nebraska as well as South Dakota. And I get the honor and privilege of hanging out with our UNO chapter. And I'm also a traveling preacher at this point. And uh, I roast coffee for Hardy Coffee Company. There's the shameless plug. Um, what, we actually serve that here at Revival, so thank you. Uh, hopefully the beans are delicious. I roasted them with love. <laughs> You're welcome. But uh, my wife and I, we actually started coming here, uh, Emma and I, a year ago on Father's Day. So this is our one-year anniversary to be here with y'all. Yeah. And it's been just a huge blessing uh, to be with you guys. So we found out that very, very quickly coming here to Revival, you guys are, you guys are not only a church family, but you're also our home. And uh, home is wherever you guys are, because as you all know, we don't really have a, a building yet. One day we will. But uh, uh, this year has been a weird year. It's been really hard. Um, we, we lost my mom at the beginning of the year in January and got some pictures uh, of her, but that's me and my mom growing up, my brother Ryan, and uh, my mom battled cancer for six years, and my mom was just, she was so strong, and she was such a warrior and courageous, and man, there's just so many things about my mom that I miss and I love dearly, but um, yeah, by the age of 10, I remember my mom, she loved classic rock. Like, that was her thing. Everything from the 70s and the 80s by 10, I knew all the lyrics to, like, ACDC and ABBA and Nazareth and Queen and Elton John and Rod Stewart and a little bit of Aretha Franklin, you know, R-E-S-B-C-T. I can tell you what it means to me <laughs> a lot. But, um, you know, as we, were, as we were getting ready for the funeral, we were, we were going through stuff and... Mom, she had a lot of stuff, just collected things. And over time, I've just realized like how much of my mom that like, I imitate. I'm soft-spoken and reserved. I strive to be better every day. Um, and I also, at some point in time, you know, developed the habit that mom had, and that was collecting things. So as we were going through, and we were going through all these boxes and stuff, we, we found these boxes, and they had uh, our names written on them. And Mom had kept everything from pre-K all the way through high school, all these papers that meant, I was like, why did you keep this, Mom? You know, just all this stuff. And we're going through it, and we're, we're looking at all these achievements and awards and a lot of letters that were written to our parents about how bad of students we were. And, you know, my brother and I and our wives were sitting in the basement at my parents' house, and we're, we're crying, we're laughing, you know, it was just like, we were so thankful that mom, like, kept all that stuff, and it reminded me of, like, my dad, he gave me, he gave me this ammo box, and uh, inside of this ammo box are a ton of stories. If I was to empty it onto the ground and you were to look at it, you'd be like, what is all of this junk? But every single thing in this box tells a story to me. And today, I wanted to share some of those stories with you, if that's cool. I've 
got this uh, pocket cross that I got when I was in youth group. Uh, I had a youth mentor, his name was Kyle Dutcher, and Kyle would tell you he was not very good at praying, not a, not a gift that he had. However, whenever he went on the plane, he was the most religious man you've ever met. Uh, he would pray continually from the time that the wheels left uh, take off all the way until they landed back on the landing strip. Uh, and he carried a pocket cross in his wallet, and he would take it out, and he would hold his wallet, and he would pray the whole time they were in the air. And that pocket cross represented the peace that he had from Jesus. And no matter the turbulence that he was facing, whether it be in the air or here on ground, he always had peace in his pocket. I thought that was so beautiful. So I, too, carried a pocket cross uh, in my wallet for a long time. And eventually, uh, when I was in high school, I got really sick and about died several times. And uh, anyway, when I got to college, I'd been running from Jesus for probably a good seven years, hard and fast. And I found out running from Jesus in those seven years that, man, it's just crazy, like his love for us. Just there was nowhere I could run where he wasn't waiting for me, and there was nowhere I could hide where he hadn't already been waiting for me just to come back to him. And it was my senior year of college, and uh, it was there that I decided that I wanted to seek the truth for the first time. So I bought this pocket Bible, and I started reading it. And eventually, you know, I found Jesus along the way, but there's one more story I wanted to share with you guys, if that's cool. I have to close the box because it won't fit in there. But I think Nevin's got some pictures for you. But I got this book uh, from a pastor in small church called Riverdale, Nebraska. Uh, Father's Day is kind of a weird day for me. I've had four fathers in my life. Uh, one I never got to meet. One who I barely know. One who raised me. And one who rescued me ultimately from myself. And he's the reason I'm here today. But you see, my birth parents, they left me outside of this little church in Riverdale, Nebraska. Uh, right on the steps. And uh, the pastor there, his name's Scott, and he gave me this book about four years ago. And he said, you can borrow it. So I stole it because I always wanted to keep it. <laughs> but inside this book tells that story of me being uh, abandoned at the church. And they, they put it in the center fold of this book. And after those boys found me and I was taken to a hospital, and I wasn't able to be treated until I had a legal guardian. So uh, since I couldn't really find my parents and I was dying from hypothermia, uh, the sheriff there in town decided to sign to be my dad. So that was my second father, was Sheriff Neil Miller. And for the next nine days, he hung out in the hospital with me and approved all the things I would need to survive. And uh, during that time, police were searching for my parents. And DHS was looking uh, for a foster family to take care of me, either until my birth parents stepped forward or until their rights would be terminated as parents. And they found my parents in uh, Holdridge, Nebraska. And that's a picture of me being adopted six months later with my mom and dad. And uh, they took me home and they raised me in Holdridge. And then my fourth father ultimately, you know, uh, was my heavenly father that I found when I was in college. 
And I tell you all these stories today and land on that, that idea of stories and the stories we share. Because uh, each of us has a story, stories that we tell with our friends, with our family, with, with each other, right? And I've and I found over time that with Jesus, uh, you need to know where you've been in order to know where you're going. So with Jesus, you really do need to know where you've been in order to know where you're going. And I wanted to unpack that this morning, if that's cool with y'all. Uh, we're going to be reading in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 here in a moment. But in this time, uh, God, he just led the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And they were making their way towards the promised land. And they'd crossed the Red Sea and escaped captivity. And they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they're just walking with God. They don't really know where they're going. And as he's taking them on this journey, eventually they end up at this place called Mount Sinai or Mount Hermon. Bible scholars believe it's the same mountain. And it's there that, that God calls Moses up to go to the top of this mountain to give him these things that you and I know as the Ten Commandments. And it's here in Deuteronomy 6 where he says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on doorposts in your house, on your gates. And I've just always loved this reminder that God, our Heavenly Father, He loves us so much that He wrote down all these words to us, all these stories that are contained in this book. Because He wanted us to be closer to Him, and He wanted us to find the roadmap to Him, and He wanted to give us a life that was easier than trying to pave it on our own. But with it being Father's Day, I feel like sometimes we read these scriptures and we look at our Heavenly Father and we kind of read this and it's a little jaded. Because I feel like sometimes we equate our Heavenly Father to our earthly one. I know I do. We think, we think God's going to forget to pick us up on time, forget to tell us that he loves us, get angry at us. Every time we make a mistake, we think God's just going to rain down his wrath on us. Because some of us, we experienced that from our fathers. We experienced a lot of yelling that we didn't need to. A few years ago, I was working at this uh, Christian camp called Camp Kamika. And uh, I had literally the greatest job in the world. It was, it was legit. I got to literally just tell kids about Jesus, and I got to chase them with cameras and shoot film, and I would document their whole time at camp, and I'd post it on YouTube for the parents so that they could go relive all the moments they had at camp. That was just awesome. And I remember towards the end of the summer, it was in July, and like we were just tired as a staff because I feel like church plants and camp ministry is very similar. Like You have to be a little cray-cray to work in one of those. And you only have so much energy for so long before you kind of get a little tired, but you remember the calling that God put on your life, so you keep trudging forward and asking him continually for wisdom and strength, because, boy, do you need it. And uh, I remember we had this little boy named Gage. And out of all the kids I met that summer, Gage was literally the worst. 
I felt so bad. Like, that's why I tell you I'm thankful for the job I had, because there's no way you're putting me in that cabin with that kid. Like, my guy counselors, God bless them, like, out of the park. They're phenomenal. Like, they had the patience that I definitely didn't. Like, I avoided them as much as I could. Um, but Gage was literally, he was the worst. And I remember one day at lunch, <laughs> vividly, we're sitting there and we're eating, and Gage is sitting next to, like, his one and only friend that he'd made all camp. And I don't know why or what happened, but he had this huge tantrum, and he ended up chucking his water bottle that had, like, a metal bottom, smokes his friend square in the face, blood everywhere, kids are screaming, it's pandemonium. And we cleared them all out to just, like, separate Gage and just, like, you know, set him by himself. And I'm sitting there with him, just, like, asking the Holy Spirit, like, man, what do I do for this? What do I do? And I remember I was just sitting there, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit told me to just do nothing, just sit there. It's like, okay. So I'm sitting there with Gage. He's hard crying, just so much crying. He's just waiting for me to rip into him. And then that's when I realized, I'm like, oh, man, that's all he experiences at home. That's all he experiences at home is just being yelled at. So very calmly, I asked him, like, hey, buddy, are you okay? And after realizing I wasn't going to yell at him, he starts opening up and telling me a little bit about, about his life. And he, uh, he told me that he really struggles making friends. Because the last time he'd made a friend, I don't know what happened, but unfortunately there was an accident and his friend actually died. So he pushes everyone that even gets remotely close to him because he never wants to lose a friend again. And because of his tantrums, and because of the experiences from his father and what had happened in their lives, they were in the foster system and they bounced from house to house, and that was another reason that he never wanted to make friends. And in that moment, as I was sitting there with this kid, I realized something that I've never been so wrong about somebody. I wanted to just go light myself on fire. So for the next 10 minutes, me and another female counselor, we're sitting there with Gage, and we're all just crying. Just now all in unison, like all three of us are crying. So I'm like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard, because he feels all those emotions that he does, and he's only eight. He was only eight. He was just a kid. I was just reminded, you know, like, with the Holy Spirit, when you're following Jesus and you're applying these books to your life, when you're applying the Bible to your life, when you're walking alongside Jesus and you're taking Deuteronomy, right, and you're taking those Ten Commandments and you're applying them to your life and you're trying to follow Jesus, there's something crazy that happens, this life transformation that starts to happen when you decide to follow him. There's something crazy that starts to stir in your heart and eventually it makes its way to your mind. And you start to see people and you start to love people the way Jesus loved people. I believe that love, it radiates through our hands and our feet and to our mouths. And it's beautiful. And if you keep reading in the stories of, if you're following the Israelites, eventually it takes you to Joshua 4. It's going to be our next destination. Uh, Joshua 4, 21. And uh, it's here that Moses has passed away, and now God has entrusted uh, Joshua to lead the nation towards the promised land. And they're making their way there, and they're getting ready to cross the Jordan. And God dries out the Jordan, and he commands the Israelites to collect these stones. 
And it's here as they're collecting the stones. It kind of seemed weird. Like, why would we be doing this? And, well, God has a purpose for everything. So here it is. Joshua said to the Israelites in verse 21, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea. And when he dried it up until we had all crossed over, he did this so the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, so you might fear the Lord your God forever. So we're told in Deuteronomy, right, to, to take the Ten Commandments and to apply them to our life, to remember God's word, to remember that. And as we're applying that, God wants us to also, you know, build these reminders, these stones, places that he's taken them, where they've been, which is the same reason. Like, I collect stuff and I put them in this box down here because I want to remember all the places God took me. One day I can share these stories, and like today I get to share these stories with you. Man, there's, there's one more story, and... One more time that God wanted us uh, to remember him by. And worship team, you can come back up if you'd like. It's in Luke 22, verse 17. We're going to be reading there in a little bit. But there's this time where, where Jesus is sitting with his friends, uh, this moment that you and I know is the Last Supper. And it's here where they're eating and Jesus gets really serious, and he tells them something that they'd never heard before. And it says that he took a cup of wine, and he gave things to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he broke, broke it into pieces, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine. He said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. If you can put yourself in the story, and if you can imagine being one of the disciples... I can only imagine how weird of a moment it would have been. So often we only get, like, as we're reading through the New Testament, we only get a small, small glimpse of what was happening. But the disciples, they did everything with Jesus for three years. Everything. They ate together. They slept together. They did ministry together. They did everything and it's in this moment that Jesus tells them that he's going to die. And he gives us this, this, these symbolisms of the cup and the juice, right? And the bread. So that they can remember him by it. There was, a, there was this bus driver in the mountains. And uh, he had the job of taking the coal miners from their town and to take them up to work. That was his job. And he'd go up every day, right? And he'd do that. The routine was normal. The drive was normal. 
And this day in particular, it was snowing and the road conditions were just trash. And they're on their way back to town where they have to just cross the very last bridge to get into town. And it's there, right as they're crossing the bridge, that this little boy appears out of nowhere and he starts sprinting across the road. And the bus driver has mere seconds to decide what he's going to do. One, hit the kid, because he ain't stopping the bus in time. There's no way. Or two, swerve the bus and kill everyone in the process. He didn't know if he would be able to swerve the bus off the road. He just didn't think he could do it. So he hit the kid. And when they were finally able to get that bus to a stop, they got out and they walked up to this kid. And unfortunately, he was dead and there was nothing they could do for him. And worse yet, they found out that little boy, that little boy that they hit with the bus, it was the bus driver's son. That story, it's a parable for what God did for us when he sent his only son, his innocent son, who stepped down from his heavenly throne to walk amongst us. And his son, his son had a name, and his name was Jesus. And this innocent man, he, he proclaimed something that the world had never heard before. And he showed us 2,000 years ago and today that maybe there's something so much more than the life that we're living. And this innocent man, this Jesus, he told us that the kingdom was coming. The kingdom of God was coming to repent, to believe, and to follow him. And those that did would inherit the kingdom of God. And yet we, we took him and we put him on the cross and we killed him. Because we didn't want to believe and we didn't want to follow him. And in that moment on the cross, Jesus became the one thing that he was not, and that was sin. All of our sin was placed on Jesus, all the pain, all the anguish, all the mistakes, all the failures that we did. God put all of that on his son on the cross, and Jesus took it because he wanted to be in communion with you and he wanted to be in communion with me, just like he did for all the people for the last 2,000 years. It's the gospel. It's his words that we apply to our life and we take this every single day and we apply it and we pass it down generation to generation. Parents, do you hear me? We pass this down generation to generation because there's something about Jesus that changed us there's something about Jesus that changed us, and we want that for our kids, too. We want that for future generations to know the hope, to find the love, to find the grace, to find the mercy that we found in our Savior. We want that. We want that for them. A week after my mom's funeral, my wife and I, Emma, we found out we were pregnant. And we found out that our baby's due date was due a week before my mom's birthday. And it felt so fitting. And we found out recently that we're going to have a little baby girl named Willow, Willow Melody. And we named her after my mom. And I bought this Bible. I bought this Bible for my daughter, Willow. 
and I started highlighting all the things that stick out to me that God's teaching me. And I started writing notes for Willow because I wanted to know all the words that completely have changed my life. And that's my audacious prayer for Willow is I want you to take this book one day after I've taught out of it and the spine is crumbling apart and it might need rebinded. And I'm going to gift it to Willow and I'm going to say, these are the words that changed daddy's life. And I hope in my audacious prayers that they change yours too. So today, we're going to take communion as a family. This is a family service after all. And if you feel like you came in alone, like you don't have a family, I just wanted to let you know to stop playing yourself because Revival has just adopted you. Welcome to our family. We're here to fight alongside of you and with you, to grow alongside of you, to protect you, to encourage you, because we're here for you because we love you for who you are. And we love you because he first loved us. We love you because he first loved us. So we come to the table today. We come to the table and we see the sacrifice that our Savior and our King laid out for us. His body that was broken for us on the cross. We take it together. And the juice that represents the blood that was shed that day. God, I just pray, I pray for everyone here today. For those that are struggling with this Father's Day and that idea, God, can you remind us that you are not our earthly Father? You are our heavenly Father. You are one of love. You are one of wisdom. You are one that loves to give great gifts. God, for those that are struggling today, God, would you just rain down your peace? Would you rain down your blessings today? Would you remind us of your grace? Would you remind us of your mercy when we need it most? God, I thank you. I thank you for this church. Thank you for this church that's become family to Emma and I and welcomed us in and walked alongside of us. And I know since they've done that for me and my wife and my family, I know that they're going to do that for those that are out there as well. God, I just ask that you just keep pouring into this church. Just keep pouring into the leaders that are here. There's something different happening here, God. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the time that we get to set aside every Sunday and we get to come and worship as a family to be in your presence, God. I'm so thankful for that. Thankful for this beautiful day that you've given us. Much like the sunrise I witnessed this morning and with the sound team as we were setting up at 6.30, God, the sunrise was a reminder that we don't have to be who we were yesterday because you're giving us an opportunity to be new today and tomorrow and the next day. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.